Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Lift Effect podcast. I am your host, Matt McNeil, founder, clinical director, and director of human performance at Lift Effect, where we assist professional pilots with maintaining better mental health and optimizing their mental skills. The goal of this podcast is simple, to help pilots and other high liability professionals and disciplines come out of the shadows to discover how we can live better lives personally and professionally. Join us each episode as we discuss various topics ranging from mental health, mental skills and performance, to business, entrepreneurship, and a few other surprises along the way. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Lift Effect Podcast. This is your host, Carl Keller, along with the man of the moment, Matt McNeil. Notice it's notice it's it's absolute crickets. <laughs> and there was, was much like, applause and there was oh, happiness oh, and joy. That guy. You know, you're, just, yeah. you're, zen, you're Mr. Zen. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'll tell you, your voice. That's how I people describe me. Oh, when it, whenever you talk, I just kind of like a. Ah. You just get warm and fuzzy. <laughs> well, that's one thing to say. Hey, uh, before we All get right. started, hey. um, <laughs> well, we've already started. Good God. What are we doing? <laughs> um, I think it's called a podcast, but don't quote me on okay. that. Um, I just show up. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's me. But we both so, do. Yeah. If we both show up, I'm not sure what we're showing up to. <laughs> um, and uh, if you hear anything in the background today, I'm playing Mr. Mom. One of my kids is uh, not doing uh, uh, that well. So if you hear a oh, whine, I'm sorry, that's what it could be. That's, but sounds like my house every day. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, before we start, uh, we got uh, a couple of questions that I wanted to throw at you. It's a little bit long. The first one, so I'm not mm. going to. Uh, to paraphrase it, I'm just going to actually read it to you, and then you can kind of uh, answer it the best way you want. Uh, and again, all questions are de-identified, so please send in whatever you want, and we're just going to read the question and get you the answer. So the question is, I love your podcasts and could not figure out how to post a question, hence the email. What advice do you have for catastrophic thinking? So much AME and checkride anxiety comes from always assuming the worst, one wrong assumption, and we're going to lose our medical. One failure is a job loss. Or with COVID, thinking the downturn was permanent, I'll never have an airline job again. Every bump in the road is taken to an extreme, works well when you're thinking of contingency planning for that low oil pressure light over the mm -hmm. Atlantic, but not for a missed call out on a PC check and wondering if you'll never fly again. I think we all do this to some degree, but pilots have perfected it. This mm -hmm. is just a question and no way reflects anything specific to anyone in particular. The floor right. is yours. Good question. Well, one is to get a hold of us uh, to figure out the question is, is email your questions um, podcast. I think this person had contacted us through Lift Effect, which is fine. It'll get to, it'll get to me either way, but podcast at lifteffect.com and that's l-i-f-t-a-f-f-e-c-t lift affect not lift effect lift affect.com podcast for doing my part of the job there you go yeah <laughs> god man i'm slacking doing, god, unbelievable um so okay so the question was why do we do catastrophic thinking right am i 
That's yeah. what I got. Okay. Yep. And why can we do it well? Where uh, you know the differences between being, you know, dealing with an issue in real life over over example the Atlantic, and yet mm-hmm. handling it so differently and feeling different when we're in a simulated environment in a simulator. Okay, got it. So the reason we catastrophically think um, <clears throat> is because, and we kind of touched on this, I think. Uh, in a previous episode, but again, it's it's really important. It's a great question, and I, I think it's a fantastic question. So, um, so the reason that we go into catastrophic thinking mode um, is because we're just a bunch of melodramatic whinies. No, I'm totally kidding. That that's not why we do it. It's biological why we go into c- catastrophic thinking. Now, as pilots, we um, are actually trained to think about worst case scenarios uh, and that's a pretty adaptive thing and when i say adaptive somebody say what do you say adaptive all the time adaptive is like a psychology term so i, I don't mean to be confusing with it adaptive means like it's good for your environment it makes sense for your environment it it serves a a, a high functioning purpose that's what adaptive means but in aviation to be thinking about worst case scenarios is great i kind of want to know What's going to happen if uh, the motor goes barfing out at V1? I want to know in advance what we're going to do rather than being trying to figure it out in the moment where we'll probably screw it up. Um, I would like to know what the what the plan is if we can't get to the destination and we need to figure out a, a proper diversion um, airport and, and what our process is and what the criteria is for determining light like that's a good thing to be briefing so that when you get there you you you're not trying to make the decision because you've already thought it through because you've got only so many resources in the moment you've have to have to be able to manage that and we call that in aviation for people that aren't pilots and i know we've got a bunch of people listening which is kind of cool that are not pilots um that have contacted me uh but that and we call it crew resource management how do you manage your crew how do you manage your resources your different layers of communication, um, the different procedures that we have. That's what we we call that CRM or crew resource management. But so catastrophic thinking is is a good thing in that in, in that context. But the problem is, is we catastrophically think about everything all the time, right? We make a mistake and we go, oh my God, I'm dead. I'm screwed. I, I, I'm, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my life. I'm gonna, we go down the worst case scenario and all of a sudden we're like, you know, we're homeless uh, under a bridge, right? Because we made a mistake in our head. That's where we take ourselves. Um, the reason we do that is because our brain is wired up to be in an environment that is riddled with threats everywhere. Our brain hasn't evolved a whole lot in about 2 million years and 2 million years ago. And we're, we're evolved for our environment. So our brain is really made up to be living in caves and living uh, to a very young age where there are threats around every corner uh, that are trying to kill you, trying to eat you. And so our little amygdala, which is our fear response organ, and there's a a bunch of parts of the brain that that are responsible for different functions, but our amygdala is is so big. to manage to go crazy when there's a threat so we can try to protect ourselves 
But the problem is, is we're not living in caves where there aren't, there isn't a tiger every time you leave your house that's like hiding around the corner, ready to pounce on you. But your brain is wired up for that. And so our tendency is to take a little and go a lot. We take something, we take a, 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 like, for example, like, let's say you're sleeping out in the woods and you're in your sleeping bag and you're getting all cozy and get ready to go to sleep. And all of a sudden you hear a snap, right? A twig snap. And the first thing we do, unless you have it, lots of experience of being in the woods, um, so you understand the environment. The first thing we do is we go, oh my God, it's a bear, <laughs> right? It's got to be a bear or Freddy Krueger. It's something, right? We go to the worst case scenario because your brain is responsible for trying to keep you and your body and your family and your environment safe. So it it takes it takes something and then it 100Xs it. It just blows it up. We just 100X everything. So we're, we're wired to do that. That's the biological reason why we do it. Now, there's also like environmental reasons and, and conditioned reasons why we can go into catastrophic thinking, which we, I don't want to even go down that rabbit hole, but just remember, like it's, it's your brain is look, is looking around for threats all the time. And you have to be able to uh, recognize that, okay, that's what's going on. That's why it's going to the worst case scenario. So now I'm going to get into what, what do we do about it? How do we get ourselves out of What's the advice? The advice is, is like, okay, what's the most important part of stall recovery. So this is for the pilots out there. What's the most in part of stall recovery? And I'm always shocked at how many professional pilots say, we'll push the nose down. No. Remember Air France? Flight 447? What happened there? They stalled for two and a half minutes. And for about two minutes and 20 seconds, they didn't recognize they were in a stall. Stall recognition is the most important part of stall recovery. I was always taught hack the clock, ten yeah. seconds, and look and, and and evaluate so that you're not into this instinctive reactive mode. That's that's right, exactly. So, and it's the same when you're flying your mind. It's the same when you're flying your psychology. It starts with recognition. If you don't recognize that you're in catastrophic thinking, you are just you're you're on the Ferris wheel of crazy, right? I mean, that we and we all do it. We all do it all the time. We're just like just riding around on this thing. We're on the, the tail of the dog. So when you recognize, you go, oh, wait a minute. Stop. It's like ant pause. Oh, wait, I'm doing this. My mind just went into being eaten alive by the tiger. That's I made a mistake. I'm gonna lose my career recognition allows you i mean what's kind of cool about recognition is when you recognize you're actually out of this out of the pattern you broke the pattern by recognizing that the pattern is happening you recognize that there's a pattern happening you're actually back to to, to baseline so i i would say recognition is like 80 percent of the way there <laughs> just recognize okay this is happening this is happening there's a whole thing around ensuring that, that I talk about oftentimes in a first session with the client, I talk about, okay, it's important that we use strategies 
that are neuroscientifically based in our work together, right? I don't, not, not against voodoo, just don't practice it. We're going to look at neuroscience. We've got to make sure that we're utilizing strategies in our work together. Second is I want you to recognize the role of storytelling that plays in your suffering or the dysfunction of what's going on while you're coming to see me. Because story playing, storytelling is a massive role. And what is storytelling? It's exactly that catastrophic thinking. These are the stories that I tell myself about my life. And they're they're future focused or they're past tensed, 100% of the time. If you tell me an accurate story about what's happening in the moment, you'll be like, oh, well, I mean, it's funny when people are in, in this catastrophic thinking mode and they come in, they're like, this is going on and this is going on. And this, and look, there's real stuff that happens in our life, no doubt. I mean, there's real challenges, but they're, they're like completely being eaten alive, right? They're, 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 that's how they're responding to what's happening in their life. And if I said, well, tell me a story about this moment. Let's get, let, let's not look at the future. Let's not look at the past. Let's get in this moment. You know what happens? It's a really boring story because <laughs> they're like, well, I'm talking to a guy, Matt, who's kind of goofy looking and, and I'm sitting here and I'm just in a chair and I'm in a room and it's, you know, it's warm, I guess, in my room. And they're like, like there's not, there's not, you're not being eaten alive. My God, in the you're moment. in my head. How did you know what I was thinking? Right. <laughs> right. So I, the question is, is what, like, I want you to start to become aware of the stories that you're telling yourself. That's the recognition piece. Oh, I just went into that catastrophic place. And then the, the next piece is like, where is our aperture? Are we wide open? Are we in a resourced place? Or are we totally zoomed in because we're looking around for the tiger? which means we're blocking out all other information. We're un we've unresourced ourselves. So think about like for when you're flying and you have somebody that's getting overloaded and you, you, you know, they start, they, they stop kind of listening. They stop responding. They stop reacting because they have, their periphery has completely narrowed. They are now 10x, 100x around a problem and they're fixating and they're blocking out all other information. They've, they've lost the resourcefulness and they become totally fixated. So that, that's the kind of the process to get yourself out of the catastrophic thinking. But the most important thing you can do, recognize that it's happening. If you just do that, you'll be able to reel yourself back into a place where you can evaluate what's actually going on and then make a determination of, is this catastrophic. And look, there can be times where it is. It's like, yeah, there's this is this is catastrophic. But most of the time it's an oh, we over exaggerate a, a a grain of sand of truth or we we just become totally deluded in our kind of delusional about all this this catastrophic thinking, which it's not your fault, right? You're you're wired up for that. You can't help it. But we've got to kind of work to evolve ourselves to the environment that we're actually in, which is not riddled with as many, which is not, you know, Siri's talking, which is not riddled. I hate that when your Siri just starts, you say something that sounds like S-I-R-I, and then she just starts talking. Um, that's what my wife but says anyways. to me. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so anyways, that's, that's my answer to the catastrophic thinking question. Thanks for the question. Awesome question. I would just want to throw one other thing in there. And I've always, uh, it's always interesting when you're sitting in the jump seat, how your perspective changes so much more. You've got that, like you were saying, 
they get they uh, the who's ever sitting in the seat can get tunnel vision but when you're sitting in the jump seat you, all of a sudden it's you got that aperture opens up and you start seeing things that is like the bigger picture and that they yep. sometimes may not be totally aware of so yeah you're not task saturated right? exactly it's that kind of perspective so so yeah it's kind of a cool analogy when you feel yourself becoming catastrophic uh jump into the jump seat for a second in your mind and that is the there's a, a concept in one of the therapeutic modalities that we use, um, which is is uh, the observational self, right? Self is context. It's the ability to go, okay, I, I'm observing myself thinking. I'm observing myself feeling. And that is perspective taking. And perspective taking is how you get out of a snag. It's how you recover from a stall instead of just being in this, oh my God, why am I heading towards the ground? Get some perspective, recognize what's happening. Then you can then reevaluate as to what the appropriate course of action is in terms of recovering. And that's actually what I try to do. I just am not always successful at it. But that, you know, those are a couple of things to look at, recognition and maybe taking in that out of body for the moment experience, looking at yourself, yeah. what you're doing. I'm going to throw you one other quick question. Okay. We're not going to go down a rabbit hole. Hopefully this one, not that it's not, that it's less important, but I, it, I don't know that this one's going to need the long okay. um, explanation. Uh, <laughs> Are you telling me to shut up? No, it just, you know, no, it, you can, you can. No, uh, well, I'm, I, what I'm going to say is that I'm learning as we do more and more podcasts together, that these questions are very, very important, but we have to kind of um, allow for the fact is that because they are they they can take you down and and are not a quick answer for most of them. Yeah, like yeah. the first ten or twenty minutes of our po each podcast can kind of go in that direction very quickly. Right. So this right. one's going to be sh I hope uh, a little bit shorter. What happens in the mental skills for value based living course? Hmm. How is it different from the mental skills for ground and flight training? Cool. Yeah. So um, mental skills for value based living. These are group uh, group courses that we offer. It's all. Unfortunately, it's just for professional pilots at this time. Um, certainly, a lift effect. I don't have any other groups. I'm running outside of that. Um, but it, the mental skills for value based living is a group course. It's not therapy, although there's tremendous therapeutic benefit um, that pilots can participate in. It's a group of around 12 to 25 um, pilots at a time. It's a closed group, meaning once it starts, you can't come in. It's a 10-week course, 90 minutes a week. And what we do in the Mental Skills for Value-Based Living is we teach you how to develop psychological flexibility skills because, honestly, every condition that we have that's distressing to us, and I'm not real big into labels of diagnostic criteria, but like things we would call depression or anxiety or or just kind of being ginned up or anger management or stress management or all those things, addiction. Well, it's the same process that that creates a lot of those conditions. And so the skills we teach you are how to alleviate uh, and manage some of those psychological states so that you can improve your life. And so we teach psychological flexibility skills using uh different therapeutic principles um we'd also converge it with mental management skills i don't want to get into that because there's just there's way too much in here but all of the skills we teach you are within context of helping you determine what your actual core values are in your life because as pilots we tend to become very goal centric um and there's nothing wrong with goals goals are great 
But if your goals are not aimed at your higher core values of what's important to you, you either won't achieve them or you'll get them and you'll be like, oh my God, I'm still not happy. What's wrong with me? Well, maybe the goals weren't properly aligned to what you care about, what you're, what drives and guides your life, which are your values. And most of us have no clue what our values are. We think we do, but we don't. And so we do a lot of value work, value development in the in the uh, the course, and we work on it as a group. It's kind of a workshop mastermind uh, course. The mental skills for flight and ground training is totally different. That is for people that are either struggling in training or have just constant check itis training itis. They've just been battling it for years. They have tons of anxiety. Well, you can actually coach people and train that those issues away so that a training experience isn't horrific or your PC check isn't something that you're dry heaving three months prior to because you're, you're so worried about it. And in that course, we cover elite mindset, motivation, and commitment we talk about uh, focus and awareness. We talk about self-control and discipline, process over outcome. Process is being able to be engaged in what you're doing versus uh, worrying about what the what the outcome of is it. We work on mental imagery and meditation, and we work on routines and habits. And that's a closed group course as well that we work with people that, that have some of those training uh, PC checkride issues. How often do those occur? They occur when we fill them. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and that's where we're, yeah, the, the value-based living is probably every six weeks. We start a new one. We're going to probably have to do more because the demand for them has gotten a lot. The, 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 I hate saying cats out of the bag. Cause I like cats. Um, but it, like it's known and the words kind of spread and there's a lot of pilots that are, you know, have no relationship with lift effect or just saying, Hey, I want to be in the course. Uh, it used to be people that we were working with individually coaching or psychotherapy and then, you know, kind of transition them or or concurrently put them in group. Now we're getting people that are just saying, I, I just want to be in the group. So uh, we'll probably be doing one a month. Like I see, I think, but, but just give us a call or, or send us an email. You can do info at liftfx.com and just inquire and we can tell you when the next one is. The um, flight and training uh, training performance group is one every month. Yeah, every four weeks we'll we'll do a group for that. And, and how that long demand is that is, course? That course is eight weeks. Eight weeks. We're thinking about increasing it to, um, or decreasing the the length down to four weeks, um, and just increasing the amount of sessions. But that depends. Unfortunately, a lot of pilots will call us when they're in crisis. Right? They're like, I've failed basically I've got one more shot or I'm going to lose my job. Then it's a much more one-on-one intensive, like we've got to figure this out. We've got six days to get this done. Please don't wait till you hit that point. If you've got some training issues, get on it early. So it's not like, okay, let's try to fix this. And you know, we've got four hours in the next one day to try to get this done. That's a terrible situation for us. It's a terrible situation for the pilot. And I'd rather people proactively, you know, preventively approach this issue with us early. So again, give us a, give us a call or send us an email if you're interested. And again, info at lifteffect.com. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. All right. Now I have a feeling this is going to be a discussion that's going to end up being more than just this podcast because it's it can really go that deep uh that we're going to talk about today 
And this is one I think that for those that uh, may be tuning in that aren't just aviation related, this is something that will be able to help uh, people through a, a large cross section of life and careers and jobs. And that is something that you've alluded to and mentioned a couple of times, uh, the 80-20 rule. Mm. So uh, it's a very interesting concept. It's been around for a while, but uh, I'm going to kind of throw you the, I'm going to lobby the softball and go, what is 80-20? 20 So in like the the bigger context is one of the things that we talk about is mental models. Um, 80-20, I view it as kind of a mental model. So 80-20 asserts that, and sometimes it's re- referred to as the Pareto's law or Pareto's principle. Pareto, how do you spell Pareto? I don't remember. Whatever. P-A-R. The actual individual was Vilfredo Pareto or Pareto. Per- Pareto, yeah. P-A-R-E-T-O. Pareto, yeah, yeah, Pareto. Econ- uh, economist. That's right. That's okay. So you, you, you should be talking about this, not me. No, um, I defer. <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, and here's so the, the principle asserts that a minority of causes, um, in per, like inputs or effort, usually lead to a majority of the results or the outputs or the rewards. So, like, like taken literally, It'd be like 80% of what you achieve in your job comes from 20% of the time uh, spent. So for all practical purposes, like four-fifths of the effort, the dominant part, is largely irrelevant, <laughs> which is contrary to what, what people normally expect. You expect that it's equal, right? The amount of effort you put in equals the amount of effort that you put out. And so if you think about like the idea of the principle, it's that there's this in inbuilt imbalance between causes and results, inputs and outputs, efforts and rewards. And so a good benchmark of this imbalance is, is provided by the 80-20 relationship. A, a typical pattern will, sh- will show that 80% of outputs result from 20% of inputs, that 80% of consequences uh, flow from 20% of causes. So that's it, like the, the the sort of the definition of what it is. Now, in terms of applying it, it applies to everything. If you look at eighty twenty, and you can Google like examples of Pareto's law, and it's like shocking. It's shocking how it's like an actuarial phenomenon. How many things follow eighty twenty? It's I think it's valuable because it's counterintuitive. We tend to expect that everything is is roughly has the same significance, and it doesn't. So, like in in business, you'll find, and it's it can be eighty twenty, it can be ninety ten, it can be ninety five five. Yeah, it's right? not a, something it's like not that. A it's hard, not fast. It's rule. not a hard fast rule, but it's just generally, if you were to look at the at the uh, the bell curve, you would find that the, the mean is sort of this eighty twenty relationship, and then you have. The, the deviations on each side. But in business, like 20% of your customers account for 80% of your revenue that you generated. But what, and so think about the implications of this. If you treat every, every facet or sector of your business the same, or every customer the same, that could significantly negatively impact your revenue. So you want to take the five, and this is what good businesses do is they go, okay, well, 5% of our, um, or let's say we'll follow 
because I was just thinking about a business I was coaching recently where it was actually five ninety five five, but they'll go, okay, well, the 20%, these 20% of our clients account for 80% of our revenue. Let's make sure that 80% of our time goes into that 20% and the 20% of our, of our time goes into the other 80%. Unless strategically it doesn't make sense and there's underdevelopment on that 80% that you want to start to look at. But that it's like a you know that's a huge there's huge ramifications or huge implications of not looking at 80/20 and and ignoring that it has big big negative impacts i'll give one that that yeah. crosses everything i don't care whether it's business or personal and that is time management and and the example that i would give yeah. to you where it's an incredible uh, disproportionate amount of time for the gains that you may reap out of it. And that's emails. Check in your email. Yeah. I mean, it, it it may be something you need to do because there may be an important message in there, but it's a rabbit hole. It's kind of like for kids with TikTok videos. Six hours later, they kind of go, geez, where'd the time go? They got sucked into it. And is that going to move the needle? Is that going to get them yeah. the big muscle movements that need to move them throughout the day? Whatever may be taking care of the house, taking care of the business, you know, heck, it, it, it just it goes across every spectrum. You you need to figure out what are the important things that are going to move the needle, uh, and or in this case the football analogy, the the ball down the field. Yeah, because that is kind of that's like window dressing. It it may it may be nice to get it all your inbox clean, but did that really get your to do list done? The big right. things, the most important things. It's yeah, like with time, like the common view is that we're short of time. People say, I don't have any time. And I'm guilty of that too. I, I see all that are. all the time. We Everybody all are. Is. I'm short of time. But with the application of the 80-20, it really suggests that it's the, it's the reverse, that we're actually awash with time and, and, and profligate in its abuse. And I, so- I think we mismanage time. Well, we do mismanage it because we're focusing on the wrong stuff. We're focusing on the wrong tasks. So one of the good things that you can do, and I use, I don't know, Carl, what you use, but I I use this. I have this thing. Um, where did it go? For all you out there, you're not going to get to see the picture that I do, but I'll try to explain um, it as he holds it up. Oh, here it is. Hold on. Got this. Right. And he does this a lot. He talks to himself. I do. I talk to myself. <laughs> it's a sign of intelligence. He is showing me this little black book. So I tell myself. No, it's not the black book. But <laughs> it, says product, it says productivity. productivity planner on it. Right. It's made by... Um, if you go to the uh, productivityplanner.com, I don't, I have no relationship with these people. I don't get anything for it. I give them a ton of my money. Um, and again, that's I, product, productivityplanner.com. Yeah. It's made by a company. I think they're called Intelligent Design. Um, yeah. Created by Intelligent, uh, Intelligent Change, excuse me. But in this productivity planner, there's, oh God, there's so much. I don't even know. I don't want to open this. Maybe we'll do a productivity planner. Uh, episode yeah, it, because yeah. it's good. It's paper. It's it's a book, right? And people are like, why do you That's still old, do this old. on a book, right? You you don't use an app for that. Well, it's because I eighty twenty the living poop out of this. So one of the things you can do here's a quick hack around eighty twenty or strategy. I hate the word hack. Strategy. Get a, a legal pad. Draw a line down the middle of the paper. So you have two sections, like two columns. One column is your personal life. The other column is your work life. Write down all the things that you need to do. Just, just laundry listed, laundry listed. 
And what you can do is circle, if you've got 10 things, find the two most important tests. They're not all important. Don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. It's not true. They're not all important. And you can categorize the tasks as like, take 20% as the most important tasks at that, of that, at that time. And if these are the only tasks you completed, you'd be satisfied. Then you can take 20% as secondary tasks. And this is the hierarchy of completing the tasks. So you've got 10 items. You're going to have two items that are on the most important tasks. And there is two that will get you 80% of the, of the benefit. Then take two that are secondary. And then take two that are additional and then dump the rest. And I'll tell you what I do and some of the executives that I coach, they take 20% and the other 80, they dump because their time is so valuable that they're like, I, it, it, it literally costs me too much money. If I, if I do anything outside of the 20%, what's most important. Now, yes, there's discretion and there's nuance to this. But it's a powerful thing. And when you start to apply this in your life, you will have more time, you'll get more done, you'll be more effective. I mean, think of ways you could apply this. Just try to think of some ways and send me an email of how you've done it and tell me how it works. One of the things I would say to you is that if you put down everything that's on your to-do list, it can be overwhelming. It can almost be paralyzing. And one of the things that I've started doing, and I do occasionally, I just I need to do it more con- more uh, on a more uh, continual basis, is that take those key things that, that really, like you say, get you eighty percent of the way, but then throw in uh, an easy one and do that one first because that's kind of like your win for the day. Kind of gets you started on the right road. So you get you go, I got something done. Then you get into the heavy lifting of the ones that are really going to take care of a big part of whatever the issue is in the personal or work life. Because if you just look at that list and you go, oh my God, how am I going to get it done? You've actually, it's almost counterproductive when that occurs because you've paralyzed yourself going, I'm never going to get it all done. And the odds are you probably won't. And even if you did, I guarantee you the next day there'd be, that list would be start rebuilding. It never stops. So. You just have to look and go, what are the big muscle movements, the things that are really important to me that that can make a difference? Because most of the other stuff's just peripheral. Yep. I mean, there's different ways. There's a great book um, by a gay, guy named Richard Koch, K-O-C-H. He wrote a book called The 80-20 Principle. I think there's several editions of it. What do you got? I can't, it's, it's the This one is uh, it's 80-20 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall. Oh yeah, Perry Marshall on the on the marketing thing. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's so that's a great book. The Koch the Koch book is kind of like the book on eighty twenty, and he derived that from the, from him. So this yeah, the, I mean, very it, symbiotic. It, yeah, this is this is. Uh, but I would highly recommend you read. It. There's the Beyond the eighty twenty principle, which gets into like chaos theory and some pretty interesting things. But you know, like. He talks about 80-20 principle, like there's 80-20 analysis and then there's 80-20 thinking. And like analysis is like 80-20 analysis is precise. It's it's quantitative. 
it it requires uh, you know investigation. It provides facts. It's super valuable. And eighty twenty thinking is is qualitative, and it requires thought, and it provides insight, and it's valuable. So it's really eighty twenty is even just in terms of how you think, how you approach something. Using eighty twenty and thinking about thinking about you know twenty percent is going to give of input is going to give me eighty percent of the output will change how you approach it'll change how you approach everything 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 can't be important if everything's important nothing's important important. absolutely Uh, i'm gonna throw something out here for people to kind of get geeked over if you think 20 the 80 20 rule is a kind of a one and done it really isn't and 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 i'm going to use this in a business perspective really quick or an environment uh 20 percent is going to get you 80% of the way there, roughly. But within that 20%, there's 20% of that 20% yeah, yeah. Is, is going to do is going to do 80% of that, which if you took that analogy, 4% of, in this case, the, the one that you started earlier, 4% of your clients are going to provide 64% of your of your revenue. And then if you do it even one step further, 20% of that of that. You get down to about uh, just under one percent will give you just over half, fifty-one percent of your revenue, because you're going to have, and, and that doesn't apply to everybody. But by and large, there's going to be that recurring customer in, the, in this business analogy that is constantly there. That's the person you really need to to uh, nurture and 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 cultivate because he provide provides a disproportionate number of of dollars to your bottom line. And I would say the same thing in your personal life. There's probably one to-do item that is just a big one, whether it's a it's a home remodeling or if it's if it's uh, a personal issue that's going to solve so many other things because of the downline consequences of it. Um, for those that are math oriented, do the math. You'll see what we say. Uh, it just it's amazing how this applies even within the eighty the twenty percent that gets you eighty percent. Yeah, uh, it just it's pretty uh it it holds true. It's really wild. Yeah. And there's I'm just like looking, I just pulled up some stuff. I can't verify if I'm not fact checking this, so this is not uh scientifically based that the, the data that I'm pulling, but here's some and you can look at the science around 80/20 and you'll be you'll be astounded. But here's some quick things like to, um 20% of of criminals commit 80% of crimes. 20% of I don't know if that's true, but let's again 20% of drivers cause 80% of all traffic accidents. 20% of companies a company's products represent 80% of sales. 20% of employees are responsible for 80% of the results. And I'll tell you in the companies that I coach, do quite a bit of business coaching, it's like 5% of uh, employees result in 95% of sales. 20% of students have grades 80% or higher. That's bell curve stuff, you can look at that. And I don't know if people, through. if you caught what Matt just said, though, we've talked about this in a positive light for the most part. 20% got you 80% of your revenue as an example, but it can also be applied negatively too. Just like he's, like he said, 20% of the, of the, of the criminals, uh, people create 80%, you know, 20% for the air, uh, for the accidents. It can be applied negatively just as well as in a positive light. Yeah. And like there's, of course, there's systemic reasons why that 20%. We're not going to get into the politics around this, but, nope. you know, it's not, things are not black and white, just like it's this, that, you know, it's not, that's not true. I mean, 5% 
do 95% of the winning. And you can look at sports and it's the same thing. It's, it's this at the, at the elite level, it's the same 5% or even like I was remember reading this of Hollywood. You look at the actors that are in movies, like it's 10% of, of the actors are in 90% of the movies, the same, same 10 actors are in 90% of all the movies that are of all you know, the high, blockbuster the high or whatever. profitable gross. That's right. That's right. Because so there's some that are in a lot underwear. of movies that you never see. It's like, or the Hallmark Channel. They have the yeah. same actors in the Hallmark movies. And I whoa, hate whoa, whoa, my, my wife Can loves I, the Hallmark. So I know, I, I know. We're, we're into mediocrity when it comes to that. We oh, love I can't. It's just so, I can't, I just can't watch it. Just like, just drives it's, me nuts. It's, it's a, it's for us, it's escapism, but that's not. It's feel good. Oh, so you're a Hallmark guy. Uh, well, my wife is. Hey, and, and, and you're I, kind I, of a I, sensitive Hallmark guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm in touch with That's something. Good. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. I, <laughs> I just get irritated with the Hallmark. I'm like, oh, come on. This is so unrealistic. My wife's like, stop it. But she's not a huge Hallmark person either. But but I, I just, I can't, I can't hang with it. Um, I'm sure I'll get a bunch of grief for that. So anyway, rightfully deserved. Yeah, oh, of course. Dad. I deserve all of yeah. it. Um, but yeah, that's the 80-20. That's something to think about. Um, we could we can go more in depth on it, but think about I would encourage everybody to read the 80-20 principle by by Richard Koch. It's a great read. You can and start to actually apply it in little benign areas of your life, and you'll you'll it'll give you courage to to take to apply a little more aggressively in more high, high stakes areas of your life as well. Even in your investment portfolio, your investment strategy, the, I think the, this the is good investors be, are 80, 20. I think this is going to be a, a, since we primarily are for the aviation related folks in our, mm -hmm. on our audience, we still do want to cater occasionally in some of ours towards those high peak performers that are in the business world. Yep. And this is where you normally hear the 80, 20 rule really be talked about. And and that's where you can really go deep dive into that. And we probably will have a podcast at some point that just exclusively talks about it because it 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 can make or break a business uh, yep. uh, uh, without a doubt. Uh, so, but it, again, regardless of that, this can be applied in your personal life by pick, by choosing wisely the things that you devote your time to and realize that a lot of the other stuff is noise. It may be, loud noise at times but it's 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 just there it's it's almost it's it's a nuisance factor and yeah, well, I think wrap you up it's there's one pilot I, I i work with that um he's got a side business that's fairly successful and we were well, looking at me out that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's not true but it's um but he's got this you know he's got a cool business and i i can't i don't want to he was actually originally a psychotherapy client and we started to end up doing a little bit of coaching on his his business well because that was making him upset but um but when he looked at it it was like he was spending 80% of his time on what was generating 20 20% of his revenue <laughs> which is what we do spending all of his time on the problem on the problem issues and so it was like well dude just get rid of that part of your business right it's you're only making 20% and it's taking 80% of your time he got rid of that part of his business and all of a sudden he had all this extra time and his revenue was like you know he's making more from that than he was flying considerably more so it's got real implications if you're willing to look at it and i would say the more detail oriented you are the more you're susceptible to going down that that rabbit hole of 
trying to fix or 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 complete that last 20%. There's a saying that I learned a long time ago, perfect is the enemy of good. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes spending that time to get it absolutely the best is can be it can be exhausting and and it stops you from doing other things that are really much more important in the big scheme of things. Yep. So, totally agree. Uh, I think we'll we'll I think we're going to kind of cut that off for today and I'm going to ask you what's the takeaway for today from what we've talked about. Not everything is important. But our spidey sense of catastrophizing likes to think everything is important. We can 80-20 even the catastrophic thinking. I think some of it is that it's that biological drive to find threats everywhere. And it's this biological drive to think that everything matters. Everything is of equal significance. It's not. Even in your issues, even in your troubles, even in what you're coming, you're, you're, the areas where you feel like you're deficient or you need to improve, not everything is important. Not everything is of equal value. And if you're willing to be courageous and say, okay, let me take a look at this and figure out what gives me is going to get me the most output, you're going to find it's so much less than you think. And so don't make everything, if everything is important, then nothing's important. And so you've got to learn to prioritize what matters. And this get into the values we're going to talk about. And anybody that has worked with me knows values is a huge thing. Values is what you deeply, deeply care about that has no end. It doesn't, it's not a thing you check off on a box. That's a goal. Value is something that is an ongoing process that you live by. And if you don't really know what your values are, you're just kind of like a hamster on a wheel, just like like throwing darts in the in the dark. And you need to understand what your values are. You need to do the work to determine what your value, what you actually care about. Not maybe not what the culture tells you or what what you've been told you're supposed to care about, but what really deeply resides in you. And when you do that, you kind of just did a twenty percent evaluation. That's my one thing. I just want to say during this holiday period of the year, give yourself some grace, hug your loved ones, take some time for yourself, recharge your batteries. And uh, we hope that during this holiday season, give yourself a break sometimes. I think we kind of wind ourselves up. And and I'll say that for some, it's a wonderful time, but for some, the holiday season is a horrible time. It's painful. It can it can bring up all sorts of stuff, and it's it sometimes it's hard to be around family because it kicks up a lot of a lot of unsettled pain. And so I can appreciate that the holidays can be really difficult as well. And I think, like Carl said, give yourself a break. You don't have to you don't have to make it perfect, and just be present. Like use the attitude indicator. Get back into the present moment. When you're in some of those difficult interactions around siblings that maybe you don't get along with or parents that drive you kind of bonkers or kids that drive you, you know, it, it can be a very conflicting time. So try to get, you know, just stay present through the season. And, and that's, that's, that's my advice. It, you know, it gets busy time around the holidays at lift effect. And I think it's a lot of people are going, I, you know, this is, this is a really difficult time for me and I'm finding myself becoming more anxious or more uh, activated 
as we approach the holidays, there's a lot of pressure. And how do I navigate that? And it's the same advice. You know, it's sometimes it's it's you have to say no. Sometimes it's a necessary thing. You, you want to participate. You want to be around family, but it's difficult. It comes with its challenges. If you can stay present um, and, and just recognize, even when you're going into that catastrophic thinking, I think you'll find that your experience of being able to navigate through some of those challenges will be easier. Well, again, for those that are interested in the mental skills for value-based living and the mental skills for ground and flight training, if those that are interested, please contact Matt through info at lifteffect.com. And for those that want to send in questions, it's podcast at lifteffect.com. We thank you for listening and we wish you the merriest of, of Christmases or happiest of holidays. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Lift Effect Podcast. If you want to dive deeper into this episode and every episode, go to our website, lifteffect.com forward slash podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we would love it if you'd follow us on Spotify and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate your support. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all with the ID Matthew McNeil. This show is brought to you by Lift Effect clinical mental health and consulting company that assists air carriers, corporate flight departments, pilot unions, and commercial pilots by providing comprehensive psychotherapy and mental skills coaching services to pilots with mental health and mental performance related issues. Visit lifteffect.com, that's L-I-F-T-A-F-F-E-C-T.com to book your free consultation. And finally, this podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of counseling, psychotherapy, medicine, or any other healthcare service, including the giving of medical advice. No therapeutic or provider-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional psychological advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining advice for any psychological or medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Lift Effect podcast.